that we may be brought in. Who is our salvation? Who is God's word made flesh and his compassion made real so that we may proclaim it to all. Who bore God's judgment build your kingdom here. Oh, you got to try a few things, right? Join us in. Sing your kingdom This morning we are finishing up a sermon. Come on, is my wife walking right in front of me for? That's fine. I would never say anything except now we have a live stream. So, and my parents told me they were watching this morning. That's the other reason I'm giving Kaylee a problem. Um, We're finishing up our sermon series on the book of Jonah. Uh, If if you're like me, Jonah has gone by way too fast. Four chapters, four weeks, and here we are at the end already. a couple things just to remind you of where we've been as we get started on the, on the end today. First is, we've seen in Jonah uh, God's great love for not just his people, the, the Israelites, but for all the nations. And we've seen uh, God's mercy and his justice both at play throughout this story. In chapter 3, last week, we read about how Jonah uh, preached rather unwillingly to the people of Nineveh and how the, the Ninevites repented, how God relented from the disaster that he was going to bring about. And Jonah really leaves that story as, as the only one who is not changed in some way. And we finished up with chapter 4 of Jonah, verse, verses 2 and 3. It displeased Jonah, God's mercy displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, so he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee in the opposite direction. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, and relenting from disaster, therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is the only one who has not yet been changed, who is uh, exceedingly displeased and angry. As we open up God's word this morning, we're going to begin at Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, and we're going to see what we've seen throughout this book, which is that it always begins with God's call, and then there's a response from the people, from Jonah, from one of the other characters in the story. And as we end, I just want you to notice that uh, there is no response. The book ends uh, with the way it began. It ends with God's call, and it invites our response. So, the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah said nothing. But Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah so that it might give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah goes from being exceedingly angry, now he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. But when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. 
He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. And I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier in our service, we read the story or the second half of the story of the prodigal son. And it's interesting to me in that story that each son wants to be the hero of the story. The younger son, the part of the story we didn't read, goes off to seek fame and fortune and uh, the the life he thinks will make him the star of, or, or a life that he thinks will make him the star of his own story. Now, of course, we all know that he returns to the father with nothing. The older son, the son who remains at home, also wants to be the hero or the center of his story. He stays and he's obedient to the father, but over the course of the story, it becomes clear that his obedience is not an obedience out of love, but rather an obedience that he hopes will earn him a hero's reward. Several commentators remarked, as I prepared for this sermon, how Jonah is like both of these sons at different times in the story. First, Jonah strikes out on his own after God call, calls him. He strikes out on his own. He goes the opposite direction to, to make a name for himself, to try to provide for himself. And when that doesn't work, when he's caught in a storm and t- eaten, eaten by a fish and spit out on dry ground, then he does obediently go to Nineveh. And yet very clearly, like the older son, he doesn't do it out of love for God or love for the Ninevites. He does it in order to make a name for himself. In fact, as chapter 4 says, he goes to sit on the east side of the city and wait to see what would happen. And it's clear that what Jonah hoped would happen is what he said in chapter 3, that the city would be destroyed. And so Jonah hopes that in being obedient to God, that he will be the hero and that the Israelite or the enemies of the Israelites will be punished. The problem with trying to be the hero of our own story, whether it's the prodigal son or either of the prodigal sons, whether it's Jonah or whether it's us, the problem with being the hero of our own story is that we get caught up in pride, and in selfishness. We begin to orient our lives where we're looking so closely at ourselves that we can't see what God is doing in a broader story, and we certainly can't see the good that God is doing in other people. Pride and that self-focus, wanting to be the hero of our own story, in other words, always makes us into fools. Fools who can't see beyond the edge of our nose. I think it's pretty safe to say that Jonah in chapter 4 feels like a fool. 
Jonah cries out to God. He says, these people deserve your judgment. Why are you so merciful to them? Jonah is offended by God's mercy, by his forgiveness, by God's love. And God is patient. He's patient with the Ninevites and eager to forgive them, as we read in uh, our Confession and Assurance. He's eager to forgive us. And the beauty of this story is that God is even eager to forgive Jonah. God, in essence, says to Jonah in this passage, you weep over plants, but I weep. My compassion is for my people. I weep over all of my creation. These are people, the Ninevites, who don't know their right hand from their left hand, God says. And our world is full of those kind of people. Our world is full of people who have no idea what their lives should be about, what they're living for. They don't understand the meaning or the value of their lives or others. And they don't have anyone to tell them or to guide them in learning right from wrong. We, like Jonah, far too often jump to judgment. We call these people fools and we're eager to see God judge them, to see them suffer the punishment or the consequence for their foolishness. But God doesn't call these people fools, just like he doesn't call us fools. Thanks be to God. Instead, he offers us his generous compassion. He offers us his great love. He covers us with his mercy. Nowhere is that more clear than in the New Testament and the life and ministry and death of Jesus. Jesus has been walking, teaching the crowds and and having his disciples follow him for years. And at the end of his ministry, Jesus is betrayed by one of the 12 who were closest to him, one of his followers. He's handed over to the Roman authorities where he's arrested, he's beaten, and he's forced to carry his own cross, the object of his own torture and death. And when they get to the place where Jesus is to be crucified, the cross is laid on the ground and Jesus is laid on top of it and they put nails in his wrists right uh, between those two bones in his arm and they put one nail through both of his ankles. And then with Jesus on the cross, they hoist him up and drop into a hole that's there. You imagine the pain of not just having been nailed to a cross, but then having those pinch points hold you up there for a one-foot or two-foot drop. After all of that has happened, the gospel writers tell us that Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. To people who are foolish, who do not know their right hand from their left hand, who don't know good from evil, and whose hands are full of violence, like the people of Nineveh. 
Jesus says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In this passage, as this story concludes, as we draw to a close what we have been seeing in God's great love and mercy shown, not just to the, pe- the men on the boat, the sailors on the boat, not just to the Ninevites and to the Assyrians, but even God's mercy and forgiveness shown to Jonah. I think there's great hope, great rejoicing, and even great learning for us. Because what we see in this story, as it ends, is I think a glimpse into the the change that happens in Jonah. I said earlier that the book ends with a question. And it does, right? Should I, God says, should I not pity that great city Nineveh in which there are 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left and all so much cattle? Should I not pity them? The last thing we hear about Jonah is that Jonah is angry. And not just that he's angry, but that three times he says he's angry enough to die. And yet I think if we pause and reflect for a moment, we can see a transformation or or we can trust that a transformation happened in Jonah. That he too was changed by God's grace. And to see that, I want to ask or to answer that question, how we see Jonah transformed by God's grace, I want to ask another question, which is, who wrote the book of Jonah? It's probably obvious to all of us that Jonah wrote the book. Only Jonah was there when God called him. Only Jonah could have heard Jonah's own prayer in the belly of the fish. And it seems as though even in chapter 4, only Jonah is present, sitting outside, waiting for the destruction of the city. So it must have been Jonah who wrote the book of Jonah. But it had to have been a repentant Jonah who wrote this story. After all, only repentance gives us the humility and the perspective to look back on our lives and allow God to be the hero instead of us. Only repentance, when we're going our own way, only repentance allows us to turn, to look at God, to listen to what he's saying, and to respond in faith and obedience. Allowing to, him, allowing God to show us that we are just part of his grand story. Only a repentant Jonah could have written a book and a story which makes him look so foolish and so bad. And this is cause for celebration for us as Christians because it affirms what we have always believed, which is that it is by grace we have been saved, as we just read, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's, by, it's grace that makes us Christians, not the good we do and, and certainly not the bad that we do. It's God's grace alone that saves us through faith in Christ. Tim Keller, in his commentary, says this. I want to close with these words and then we'll close in prayer. What kind of man would let the world see what a fool he was? 
only someone who had, been, who had become joyfully secure in God's love. Only someone who believed that he was simultaneously sinful and completely accepted. In short, only someone who has found in the gospel of grace the very power of God. That's my prayer for you, for me, for all of us, that in the gospel of grace, not in our own works, we would find the very power of God. Let's pray. God, we are all tempted to make ourselves the hero of our own story. Some of us are tempted by extravagant living, by making a name for ourselves in the world. Others of us, Lord, are tempted by obedience, doing what is expected of us so that we will receive a hero's reward. But Father, we come to you again. We confess that sin. We have confessed that sin. And so we look to you, God, and we ask that you would be the hero of our story. We ask that as we find and hear and see and taste the gospel once again this morning, that we would also bear witness to the very power of God working in and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God builds his kingdom on the solid rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. As we finish the series on Jonah, we remember that Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm that we may be brought in, who is our salvation that comes from the Lord so that we may walk on dry land, who is God's word made flesh and his compassion made real so that we may proclaim it to all who bore God's justice and freely extends mercy so that we may live in grace. Join us in singing, Build Your Kingdom Here. Please stand with us.